Amen. Good morning. Good to uh, be with everyone. And uh, if you're new or visiting, glad you're here. And uh, if you're wondering what this is, it's a worship service where we love to worship Jesus and we worship Jesus by... Wow, everyone's still chatting. This is great. <laughs> Hello. I'm up now. Like, you're done. You, we gave you like five seconds to greet. That should be enough in New Jersey. Hey, hey, sup, sup. That's how we do it here, right? Uh, but uh, anyways, it is good to be with you. And, and if you brought with a friend or, or a neighbor, just glad you get to join us today. This is a worship service, and we love to uh, worship Jesus. And we worship him because we believe he was God, that he did come and live a life we couldn't live in our place for our sins. And he did die, and he did rise, and he did conquer Satan, sin, and death. And he does offer forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God. So that's why we're excited. That's why we sing the songs that we sing. That's why we sit under the teaching of God's word. That's why we observe the Lord's Supper each week, not as a means by which we get righteousness, but a means by which we're nourished and remembering the saving benefits of what Jesus Christ has already done. Uh, and we also give because God has been exceedingly generous in giving us his son. And if you've been coming for a little while, you know we give on the silver boxes on the back wall, and uh, many of you give online as well. And if you're not a regular tender member, we're thrilled you're here. We're not interested in your money. Please know that we want you to know Jesus Christ and serve him and love him with your whole heart. I want to give you uh, just a few things. One, an announcement before we roll into 1 Peter. Uh, one is Step Up Sunday is going to be sept uh, January, September, January 26th. It is uh, a time where we've never done this before, but um, if you're recent to coming here, um, God's done a really unique here more quickly than we planned, and so you can uh, by the great deceit in believing that what you see just operates uh, on its own fluid with no problems at all, uh, and that everybody doing the things they're doing is just is doing it great. The truth is um, everyone's dying, and then we're all uh, needing more hands to do the work of ministry. And so God's wired you in a unique way to serve his body and love his people and glorify his name uh, through acts of service. And so we're going to have on that Sunday kind of uh, around the room just, just all the different types of ministries that happen here, many of which you're probably not even aware of that people participate in uh, to allow the work of ministry to continue. And so our hope is that you'd see one of those and just dial into the one that makes sense for you in ways by which you are wired and shaped for the glory of God. Um, we're, we're never not in need of, of people exercising their gifts for God's name. Um, and so um, don't believe that lie. Uh, and so we're, we're encouraged to expose you to that. I wanted to let all you guys know uh, now something really exciting. We try at the end of the year to be really generous, as generous as we can uh, with the funds that God has given. We believe that uh, we need to be generous because God's been generous to us. And so I told you if you're at Christmas Eve that uh, we were uh, praying about how to be able to give away uh, some funds this year. And so uh, we were able to give almost 35000 away uh, at the end of the year. And we gave them to a number of different places, but just want to give you a couple to encourage you. One is uh, in Haiti, you know Pastor Wilson, who we work with, uh, who's a faithful missionary and church planter uh, down in Haiti. It has been uh, exceedingly difficult for him in recent months with the unrest, civil unrest, uh, really dangerous. Um, it's calmed a little bit. He's been able to... Um, 
continue ministry, but he got to Lartigue, one of the places he went, and uh, one of the uh, wells that basically produces the only fresh water they have uh, was destroyed in the hurricane that came a couple years ago, and so um, that costs about 10000 to fix, so we sent him 10000 to fix that and repair uh, that so they can have fresh, clean drinking water. Um, the other one is Shabazz in Pakistan, who's a faithful brother in Pakistan. Uh, this is him on Christmas Eve. Uh, they actually walk the streets singing Christmas carols and preaching the gospel. Gospel. Uh, it, it, this ain't like uh, Bergen County. This is Pakistan. So, like, uh, that was not uh, welcomed by everyone, but they did it anyways with joy. And here's them in the streets, uh, just walking and singing about the glories of Christ in Pakistan. Uh, and he works in a brick kiln community. That's uh, the ministry that he does. We sent him uh, three thousand. Understand, three thousand dollars in Pakistan is like a hundred thousand dollars here. So it goes really far. Um, another brother that we recently, I think, are going to partner with probably longer term is Thon in Vietnam. Um, this is, he's planted 22 churches in six months. I feel like I've been trying to breathe for six months, and this brother is churning out churches. He's in our network. He is faithful. They have to uh, change gathering locations. This is one of the most recent ones they've been gathering in. Um, those brothers and sisters are often beaten for their faith. Uh, that's real. That's not figurative for him. Uh, this is him with his hand raised, baptizing Vietnamese woman recently after one of their house meetings. Uh, they're seeing lots of people trust in Christ. We sent him uh, 3,000 as well, and because that goes uh, very far. Um, we also um, sent Reverend Wayne some funds. This is a good brother. Some of you might know him. He's in Patterson, so he's local. Uh, his heart and hope is to end homelessness and hunger in Patterson, and uh, he loves preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel to the many that come uh, around him. We gave him uh, about $7,000 for the work of his ministry. He relies solely off of donations, and uh, he told us that when they received the check, they literally, he and his wife just stared at it for 30 minutes. Uh, because they were so grateful. And so, uh, great to bless him. Even uh, one of our growth groups has been involved in serving alongside him. That's been an encouraging way the church has partnered. We also, uh, Ryan Dinos down in Morristown, he's part of the Acts 29 network as well. He planted in September. We monthly support him. We gave him uh, 5000 as well to uh, get started in his ministry. Uh, InterVarsity in New Jersey is reaching lots of college students, connecting them to local churches. I think we gave another 5000 to them. Uh, that's just a way by which we tried to be generous. Uh, so we want to encourage you, also let you know how you can pray for uh, many in their ministry and the works that they're doing. And on that note, I'm going to pray. We're going to dive into 1 Peter, which I'm excited to be back uh, into. Uh, so pray with me. Jesus, thank you that um, we get to be doing ministry alongside brothers and sisters that are not physically present, but through the work of your Holy Spirit, uh, tied to us in the kingdom of God and doing and preaching the same great, beautiful message in contexts uh, that are difficult. Uh, so we pray for Pastor Wilson and Shabaz and Thon and uh, Pastor Wayne and others who are preaching the good news of Jesus. Pray for those in New Jersey who are faithfully teaching this morning the good news of what Christ has done, that you'd encourage them and bless their ministries and grow them in uh, the faith, and we pray you'd help us this morning as we look at First Peter. Uh, thank you for giving us the scriptures that give us illumination to spiritual truths and, 
And we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to discern the things that we couldn't otherwise discern and that you would grow us more in the image of your Son. It's for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're back in First Peter. We took a little break over Advent. The Pastor McKinney was back last Sunday to take us back into First Peter. And um, just to remind us of who Peter was, Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He was an apostle of Jesus. Uh, and he was just really human. If you do a kind of a personal study on Peter, you'll see he was a guy that had his moments. He denied Jesus. He doubted Jesus. He ran from Jesus. But he ultimately returns to Jesus. And the good news is he wants us to know and be encouraged by that if you belong to him, if you're an elect exile, um, then if you endure suffering and persecution and uh, pain of all types and forms, you can and will endure. Uh, that belonging to Jesus, that, that being his is everything. So um, I said months ago when we first kicked off this letter back in September that I believe a key to unlocking this letter is reading it through the lens of if you belong to Jesus and read the verses, read the text. It, 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 it boosts your confidence and places your feet somewhere that can stand. And so um, Peter is this brother who's uh, writing to these new Christians and they've been trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus and they've been suffering well through persecution, through being mocked and being betrayed and being abandoned and feeling lonely and feeling outcast that, that Jesus is in fact God, that Jesus is in fact good, and they want others to know him. And Peter's writing them as a good pastor to encourage them. And last week, Pastor McKinney preached on how when we suffer well for Jesus, that invariably is gonna provide a reason for people to ask you what's going on inside you. Right? As we, as we don't act like culture and we act more like Christ, people should say, what's wrong with you in the holiest sense? Uh, in, in a sense by which they're intrigued, in the sense by which they're curious. Why don't you repay evil for evil? Why do you suffer and give glory to God? How are you able to be okay in the midst of these different circumstances? He, he explained that it creates opportunity to give a reason for the hope that's within us. And here's why. It is the assumption of Peter and Jesus and all the New Testament writers, if you've read your New Testament, that you will invariably tomorrow, Monday morning, rub shoulders with people who do not love the God that you love, do not serve the God that you serve, might even be antagonistic towards it. That, that's, a, that's an assumption of the Bible, right? So we're not shocked when people are like, you're crazy. Like, <laughs> you look weird. We're not shocked by that. That's, that's assumed in the Bible. But here's what's great is this morning... Peter's encouragement has always been, don't lean away from them, lean into them. Um, and lean into them with gentleness, love, and respect. And this morning, he actually is going to provide the reason for the hope in you. Um, so here's Peter's point, if I can boil it down in verses 18 to 22 of chapter three. This is his point, and this is my point. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the biggest reasons to open your mouth. That's what he's doing. He just finished telling you, always be prepared as you're suffering, as people ask you questions to give a reason for the hope that you have, and now he's going to say, and here's the reason. Here's the reason. So verse 18a, here's what Peter says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So he says first that Christ also suffered. Um, Paul's been talking about suffering, so he hasn't changed the train of thought. He's just now talking about Jesus' suffering. Last week we heard about our suffering, and now he says, oh, uh, Christ also suffered. What's he doing? He's reminding you that when you suffer, someone else also suffered. 
Someone who's important to remember they suffered. So when you feel betrayed, you have to remember that Jesus was betrayed. When you feel lonely, you have to remember that Jesus was also lonely. When you feel pain, you have to remember your high priest Jesus also felt pain. Right? You have to remember Jesus in your suffering. What's the natural temptation in suffering? Isolation, and you're totally fixated on you, right? You're not thinking about anybody else or anything else. Right? Just the pain you feel. Peter is so pastoral. He goes, Christ also suffered. Christ also identifies with you. Um, Christ also understands. When people say evil against you, they said evil against him. Remember, Christ also suffered. And then he says, I love this, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus is set apart from all other gods and deities, right? Peter's reminding us of this, that, that, that our God, the God of the scriptures, the God of the Bible, the God of all creation, uh, he is a God who did not only kind of sit back detached, right, and say, hey, figure it out, and here's a bunch of commands that you just got to figure out how to obey. He didn't do that. He came, and how did he come. He came in the person of Jesus Christ. He came as man. He came as God. He wasn't just a good man. He was the God man, and he came as the righteous for the unrighteous. He came to suffer, and he came to bring a way to God. That's why he came. He's not like other gods, and he did this he did this amazing, glorious work, and, and, he, and he talks about this idea of substitution here, which I've talked about in length, how this is a theology that likes to be kind of examined and, and, and kind of scrutinized and say that it shouldn't be. We believe in penal substitution as a church, that there's a penalty deserved for our sin, and Christ took the penalty for us in our place. He gladly did that. You don't have salvation without that. You're still wanting on the day of judgment if he doesn't do that, okay? So that, that's good news for us, and it says by Peter that he entered human history and he suffered and he lived his life for our life. The righteous for the unrighteous. Those five words, I think, summarize the essence of the great, scandalous, glorious, amazing work of Jesus Christ. Like if you're gonna just put the gospel in five words, that's it. The righteous for the unrighteous. We were sinful, he was sinless. We are unrighteous, he is righteous. We had condemnation, he brought salvation. We were lost, he finds us. We were enemies of God, he makes us his friends. That's the good news. So if you're new to Christianity or new to the Bible or new to church, just get that. Righteous for unrighteous. Let's close in prayer. Okay, no, I mean, that's, that's really all you need. I literally read this text this week, and I said, I don't know. I mean, what else am I supposed to say about this? This is so great. And he was sinned against, and he suffered for us. As I was also reading this, I thought in this whole exchange, this righteous for unrighteous, because um, he's tying it to suffering and Christ's sufferings, I feel that sometimes the temptation for us when we suffer is naturally to think, I don't deserve this, right? Like, I don't deserve this. I mean, God, look at how I'm serving you. Look at what I'm doing with my life. How are you bringing this lot into my hands? Is that not a natural thought? Um, And we forget that we did the same thing to him. The cross is amazing because it isn't just something that is done for us by Jesus. It's something done to Jesus by us. Like when you look at the cross, we did that. We did that. Jesus didn't deserve that. Jesus didn't live a life that deserved damnation in a sense. He didn't live a life that deserved the wrath of God to be placed on his shoulders. 
He didn't live a life that deserved or he was not a God that deserved to be ridiculed and mocked and belittled in his glory, yet we did that to him. And yet Jesus still suffers by us and suffers for us. The righteous for the unrighteous. And I love this next phrase, once for sins. I love that, once for sins. He didn't need to do it again. Peter's reminding them, this, this great death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he didn't get, need to be re-crucified. This happened once. Now understand, for the Jewish year, this was huge. Like they got the sacrificial system. They got annual Passover season, over 225 million lambs slaughtered. And here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus shows up, the one perfect unblemished lamb, as 225 million are being slaughtered, and one goes to the altar, and the altar is shut down. The sacrificial system is closed. Why? Because the one perfect lamb came and he died once for sin. So this unbelievable parade of animals ceases because one came, Jesus, to do it for everyone. It's amazing. It's who say it. It happened one time. You don't have to keep re-crucifying Jesus. It happened for past, present, and future sins. All that he did accomplished that in his great work, and Peter wants us to to know that, and it opened up a way to God. Him doing it once for sins opened up a permanent way for God. This insufficient parade of animals was shut down by the sufficient work of Jesus. That's what happens here, and this is why he says that he might bring us to God. Why do we have hope? I mean, he's been listing it, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but ultimately so he might bring us to God. Now, I love the imagery here. I just, I see imagery in that, in that phrase. And um, when, when, you know, kings and monarchs existed, there was also, there was always someone who would like kind of walk someone to the high king. They would bring them down the royal hallway and into the chambers and introduce them. I see that here. Right, God is king, king of creation. What happens when you trust in Christ is he, he grabs your hand and, and a, a throne you could never approach, a, a chamber you could never enter into, he grabs your hand and walks you down the hallway and he says, uh, hey, Mike, I'm bringing you to God. I'm bringing you to him and you can, you can call him dad. You can call him father and you don't have to be afraid of his judgment. You can go to his throne of grace anytime for help when you need. Hebrews 4. And, and he brings you in and he says, Father, this is Mike Reed, your son. And I've made a way for him. Isn't that amazing? Some of you, some of you might be going, man, this is a bit unusual. It is. That's why we're so excited. Because <laughs> it's just unusual. It's unusual that a God would do this. I mean, you know, every other religious founder claimed that they knew the way to God. Only Jesus said he was the way to God. Uh, He's different. He's sufficient. He's able. That's what Peter wants us to know and understand. And he continues in verse 18 to, to root your confidence somewhere. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Peter reminds them here of the confidence they have in giving a reason for the hope within them. And the confidence is that the resurrection was real. Why? Because his death was real. 
And he says it right here. Jesus' death was a real death. He didn't go into a semi-coma. He wasn't drugged. It wasn't a hallucination. Jesus was actually dead. He was put to death in the flesh. That's what happened to Jesus. Jesus died. Um, understand, thieves like, and, and people who were crucified, they would always push up uh, from their legs to kind of um, elongate the crucifixion, try to stay alive as long as possible, which is why sometimes Roman soldiers would come along and break their legs. Um, they didn't have to do that to Jesus. Why? Because they knew he was dead. They didn't break his legs because they knew Jesus was dead. And, and to make sure, right, they thrust a sword in his side so that blood and water poured out. They, they knew that Jesus was dead. And Peter does something fascinating, though, as he's rooting your confidence in the death and resurrection of Jesus for the hope that you have. He, he gives an insight into what Jesus did during the three days he was physically dead. Now, let me just, let me just tell you something about this particular text. This is probably one of the most debated texts in the whole New Testament. I, I think it said there's over 150 interpretations of this text, okay? So uh, I'm not gonna solve it for you. I'm gonna give you the main point of the text. You're gonna go back and have so much fun looking up precepts, Austin, and commentators, and reading theologians. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna lead you into the main point, but give you a little bit of window into where I might land on this. But understand, even Martin Luther, the great theologian, said, I'm not sure what Peter means. Okay, that's great. So if he can say that, I can say that. So uh, here is, is what's happening, though, is most theologians will argue, which I would lean towards, is um, you have a life in the spirit. That's kind of the, the crux of the whole thing, what spirit means. That word doesn't seem to mean at all Holy Spirit, but Jesus' is spirit Jesus' eternal spirit, the, the eternal state of Jesus Christ. In other words, he dies physically, but his e eternal spirit is always alive. So there's something that he does in his spirit. During these three days, he is actually physically dead, but alive spiritually. Right? We believe when we die that our spirit goes somewhere, right? And God will give us new glorified bodies in the new creation. And so um, here he's showing us that Jesus had a physical body. He also had a spirit. And his physical body was absolutely dead. And his spirit has always been alive. Later, I would argue he's resurrected in his, into his transformed eternal state. But, but here's what happens. Peter tells us he did something spiritually as his body laid dead physically. He went intentionally to tell a group of people or spirits, I'll argue these are fallen demons because the word spirit is the same word in New Testament that mostly refers to angels, not to humans. So this isn't some like humans are in prison somewhere and he goes and validates what he's doing. He doesn't need to do that. Um, but there are fallen angels that he intentionally goes to claim and declare. He's not evangelizing. He's not like trying to win people to Jesus. He's telling them, I'm about to defeat Satan, sin, and death. And apparently it has something to do with Noah. If you know anything about Noah, Noah was the one who during uh, God's uh, time in, in the book of Genesis, he says, I'm gonna um, 
destroy the world with a flood due to judgment for sin. Sin was uh, just, just rampant in the earth, and so he goes to do that, and Noah has eight people in his family. They're ultimately the only eight people that, that trust that Jesus, or not Jesus, but God is true, that God says the ark will save you. So ultimately, he's pointing to, he's talking about this ark of safety that is Jesus Christ in his resurrection that we can enter into. We trust in him. That's Peter's whole thrust here. That God is about to overcome Satan, sin, and death. He goes to this place of imprisonment. Um, these fallen angels, who knows what they did? I find it fascinating that Peter doesn't feel like he needs to explain it, so apparently the readers must have understood it. He might be alluding to in the Old Testament when Genesis 6, where uh, eight fallen angels came and they inhabited human women. Uh, maybe that was so vile and wicked that he put them in a permanent place of imprisonment. Don't know, likely, possible. Either way, Jesus goes to tell them, I'm eradicating wickedness finally and fully. And I'm doing it because I'm gonna rise. And he does that in his spirit. And just as Noah and his family were spared, we can be spared by trusting in the same thing he pronounced to those fallen spirits in prison. That Christ is the way, that Christ has made a way to God. And this is why he says this in verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into, into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What Peter just said is misinterpreted by many, many. This is why we love teaching through books of the Bible, because you need to see text build upon text. Otherwise, you'll read one text and think the text is saying something it's not saying. So good Bible study is, well, what does the reader continue to say? What does his train of thought continue to be? He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the life and death of Jesus Christ. He hasn't changed his thought. So here he says, baptism corresponds to this. Corresponds just means a symbol of a spiritual truth. So, so Peter, what, what does baptism point to? What, what spiritual truth does baptism correspond to? What did he just say? The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Right? So here he's showing you that, that, that when he says baptism now saves you, he doesn't mean a physical salvation by immersion under the water or sprinkling. He doesn't mean that baptism as a sacrament saves you. What he says here is, he's saying what saves you is the symbolic immersion of Jesus Christ who is like the ark of safety for Noah and his family. That's what saves you now, right? And this is why he made clear, he doesn't want you to misunderstand what he's saying. Look at his next statement, not as a removal of dirt from the body. He wants to make sure you understand. I ain't saying this makes you clean. I ain't saying this makes you be forgiven of sin. That's not what I'm saying here. He says baptism now saves you because it corresponds to a spiritual reality. What spiritual reality? The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the baptism you need, Peter's saying, is not a wet one, but you need a dry one. And the dry one is done through trusting in the one who was baptized figuratively in your place, Jesus Christ. He was buried for three days and he rose in ascension, validating he was victorious over Satan, sin, and death. That's why when we baptize brothers and sisters in this church, we always quote Romans 6 and speak from the New Testament where they explain what you're seeing. You're seeing a picture of the gospel in baptism. 
You're seeing a picture that Jesus Christ saves you. And I, and I love this. Look, he says, as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those who appeal to God to place them in the spiritual ark of safety, Jesus Christ, will be saved. This saves you now. Not the sacrificial system. Not priests trying to atone for sin. But our great high priest, Jesus. What's Peter doing? What's Peter doing? <laughs> He's reminding you that the reason for the hope within you is the resurrection. Is that's what saves you. The righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's what brings you to God. That's what walks you into his chambers. Um, where do you place your hope in pain and suffering and affliction? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a living hope, not a dead hope. That's what he wants you to remember. Now here's what's beautiful. What's beautiful is he's just repeating how he kicked off the letter the first three verses. That's what I love about going through books of the Bible. You're seeing the congruency of the writer. He said three verses in of this letter when we started this series, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who did what? He's writing to people who are suffering and persecuted and in pain and affliction. What's the first thing he reminds them of? Man, he was so merciful, he caused you to be born again to a living hope through what? We don't worship a good example or follow a dead guy, right? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he says out of the gate. That's what he wants us to know. So Peter began this letter saying, I'm so fired up to tell you something. Guess what? God made you born again through the work of a resurrection. He's a living hope, not a dead hope. He's a God you can trust. Peter watched Jesus die, saw Jesus rose. He was one of the first guys to the tomb with John. Remember, he goes in, he examines the cloth. Peter saw these things. And Peter's going, man, this is real. This happened. This is where our confidence is. Man, when people ask you for a reason as to why you're okay, this is what you talk about. That he's alive, he's not dead, that he's a person, not a concept. These are the things that we explain. I love this. Peter is circled all the way back here in chapter three, <laughs> again at the end to remind us of the reason for the hope within us. This is why, and I say this a lot because I want us to hear it and realize it, Peter even preaches this way in Acts two. If you read Peter's sermon, he argues it from the resurrection. Um, and he, he appeals to how people would go and weep and wail and grieve at these shrines of the people they believed to be holy. But with Jesus, did anybody go and leave flowers or venerate his tomb? No. Why? Because everyone knew where he was. For 40 days, they knew they could go see him lead a Bible study eating crumb cake. Everybody knew that. So everybody would go and see Jesus. He was alive, but, but, but the reality is all, all holy men, all people that have gods or, 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 or figures of God or Messiahs, people have worshiped are still in their tomb, right? This is why I always say, if you go to Mount Hebron to see Abraham's tomb, who's gonna be in there? Abraham will, I promise, I promise. Um, if, if you want to find out where Buddha is in India, if you go to India, who's gonna be in his tomb? Buddha will. If you go to Medina to try to find Muhammad and go to his tomb, who's going to be there? Muhammad. Go to Illinois to go to Joseph Smith's tomb. Who's going to be lying in there? Joseph Smith. Guess what? Go to Jerusalem. I've gone. Go to Jesus' tomb. You know who's going to be lying in there? 
Nobody, right? Why? Because he's not there. Because he is alive. Because he is God. Because a resurrection is a living hope. This is what he wants us to understand and know. He is basically saying to us, the greatest reason to share the hope that's within you is the resurrection. And it's not something to simply be observed, but experienced. Now, his death is our death. His life is our life. His victory is our victory. But this is all within the framework of giving an answer for the hope within us with gentleness and respect. So I want to take a couple minutes before we end with just giving you some just practicals on doing this because he's saying, hey, give an answer and give an answer based on the resurrection. Now, I'm going to first say, hey, there's an evangelism class that that meets on Wednesday nights and um, it's a great opportunity to get dialed in more to how to do this practically. And we're not going to shove facts down people's throats. That's not the hope. The hope is how do we think well about outsiders and walk wisely with them? Um, so that's a great opportunity for you. You can still be a part of that. Um, but I'm just going to give you a couple that have helped me. A couple things that have helped me. Uh, the first one is love Jesus first, others second. Um, here's what I mean. Um, the only way I believe, and I would believe the Bible agrees with me, that you can really be a fruitful evangelist. Or Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people that have the gift of evangelism, but we're all called to the Great Commission, okay? So, so people might have the gift of evangelism, but we're all called to the Great Commission. So, so we're all called in some way, shape, or form to make disciples. Part of making disciples is we open our mouth. Part of opening our mouth is talking to people that do not love God, that we love, do not serve the God that we serve, Right? So, so that, that's what I'm talking to. I'm, I'm not trying to diminish the reality. There are some that have a, a supernatural gift of evangelism. But I'm saying we're all called to do this. So if we are, and if he's encouraging these brothers and sisters to do that, here's what I mean by love Jesus first, others second. The only way you will be a fruitful evangelist is by loving Jesus first. Here's why. What does Jesus say in Matthew 22? The greatest command is love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, then love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so many times we get the wagon ahead of the horse and I meet people or I counsel people and all you're trying to do is do evangelism. <laughs> like, like, like it's a duty for you. It's not motivated or fueled from any intimacy with the Lord. You're just trying to memorize spiritual formulas and convince people. You will not be fruitful if you're not loving Jesus first because it's your intimacy with him that creates your courage. It's not you trying to muster up courage outside of him. I used to leave evangelistic sermons or leave series where they would talk about being missional and I used to always think I had to try harder, right? Or I'm gonna try harder this week. No, love Jesus more this week. I mean, do you, do, you ever, do you ever come out of a meeting with a brother or sister or go on a missions trip or you're near to God where just the courage is overflowing? It's natural. It's not forced. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Otherwise, what do we do? Everybody just does community or does evangelism. I mean, people don't just do community. They do it because they just love the people of God. You don't force people to do community. Uh, why do we share our faith? You don't force people to share their faith. They do it because, man, they've been so overwhelmed at the resurrection of Jesus Christ in their own life. They can't help but it come out of their mouth. You're not forcing them to talk about it. It's natural for them. I'm not saying it doesn't take courage, but I'm saying it's an overflow of loving Jesus first. 
The other thing I would say to you is, and this is really important, our motivation is public love, not private ego. And here's what I mean by this. Paul said that the love of Christ compels us. He talks in Romans 9 how he's in anguish that he wishes he himself would be cut off for his brothers to be saved. Like, there is unbelievable love and not a desire to simply boost his ego and show he knew more than someone else. Because I think something really lacking that we need to be careful of is just sincerity and genuineness. I mean, come on. Like, when you talk to people about the hope within you, like, they know when you're just doing it out of duty. Like, they know when you don't care. They see right through you. Or you're just giving me verses. Like, you haven't even asked me a question about my life. You haven't even engaged me as a human. But, like, like we need to actually genuinely care about people. I mean, I'm not saying it's not important to memorize spiritual laws and spiritual formulas. It's important that we have a reason to defend the hope. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's okay if you don't even have a speech plan. I don't know. I mean, all I know is Jesus rose, and I, that's about all I know, that he was God, that he transformed me, that his Holy Spirit's in me, and I like, no longer want to live in sin. I want to live for his holiness. And there's a lot that doesn't make sense. I don't know. <laughs> you know what they're going to say? Well, I don't know. You're a little wacky, and you maybe don't really have everything figured out, but you actually care that I know that. Like, you actually care to tell me that. There's actually real public love for me, and you're not driven or motivated by private ego for you. Christian community is so dangerous, right? We're, we can build up something that we're not even attached to, and we love proclaiming something that makes us feel good about ourselves, and we ourselves haven't even leaned into that. So we lean into that first. Another thing I'd say is listen to learn. Um, this is so huge. Did you know that everyone's like grid is not the same? <laughs> And, and th here's what I mean. You're going to interact with people at work, your neighbor, your coworker, family. Um, take time to find out, like, where they're at. Like, don't just start Romans Road. They might not even believe the Bible's inerrant or God's word. They don't care. You got to start somewhere else. Do they even believe God exists? Do they believe there's meaning and purpose? Do they even believe that truth could be found? I mean, just ask questions. Take time to listen. You show you care and have genuine concern by listening to them. There's a difference in listening and waiting to talk, right? Married people, we got that, right? Wife is like, no, you're not listening to me. You're just waiting to give your spiel, right? Like, oh, you're right, hon. I just got to listen. I need to listen. I need to engage without thinking about what I want to say in rebuttal. Listen to learn. Here's just a couple people that I meet and I think I just encourage you with, um, one is, is the atheist, maybe the person who would say to you, uh, I don't have any belief that God exists. Um, well, I don't think anyone is born an atheist. I think that we're all born searching for something greater, more awesome than even our parents. No kid is born an atheist. I think it all gets down to uh, that we don't like the way God governs the universe or God governs creation. Um, I think everyone would argue that there's something and they don't even have the evidence they're demanding from the Christian on themselves. Prove he exists. Okay, prove he doesn't. Well, science. Well, science and faith aren't enemies. They're beautiful realities that further demonstrate how God designed the universe to work. Gravity didn't disprove God. You know that? It actually shows how he's designed the universe to be. 
And, and so we love them by saying, man, let's talk about why you might not believe God could be good or what is your issue with the way that God would choose to govern his people and listen to that and find avenues towards that God created all things good and that sin fractured human history and that God still came to appease himself through a sacrifice of himself in a resurrection and, and work your way there over time. But take time to listen to what they say. I would, I would listen well so you can discover what happened in their life that makes them believe God could not be good and they could not possibly enjoy the way that God has chosen to operate. Um, another one is the I'm spiritual but not religious. Um, that might be you here today. Love that you're here. You're like, yeah, I'm super spiritual, just don't believe in what you're talking about, but I want to get religious, so I want to hear this thing, kind of experience this thing. Um, we all probably meet with people like that or talk to people like that. It's really common. Um, normally, I'll just... If someone says to me, I believe in something, I just don't know what it is, wisdom might say it's helpful to ask them, well, what do you believe in then? <laughs> do, you, do you believe that in love and beauty? Do you believe in meaning? Do you believe in death? Um, and they might say that they do. Um, or you can say, do you believe the ultimate goal of man is to die to nothing? Um, if they say, no, I believe in beauty, meaning, purpose, you can take Buddhism off the table. I believe in that. You can ask them, hey, do you believe that when you die, just keep coming back again and again then, spiritually? Like if you just are awful, you come back as a roach. If you nail it, you're a cow. Never had anyone say yes to that, by the way. But if they say yes, like, okay, well, where are all these new souls coming from every day then? You can take Hinduism off the table. Um, you can ask them lots of, lots of questions to find out things about them. Um, and ultimately, you always get back to God created a perfect world and sin fractured the world and Jesus sent Christ and Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose, and we can have hope. Um, the last one is uh, just the good person, the moral neighbor, right? Um, we, we, I don't know why I'm laughing. We, we all know them, right? Like, we're not the good neighbor, just in case you were wondering. They see you cuss under your breath, right, coming in your driveway. They see you mowing over twigs and screaming at your mower. Like, they, they see you and the arguments you have with, with marriage outside or the kids are doing something in the backyard. They see all that. So when I say good neighbor, I just mean the person who, they're not agnostic. They're not atheist. They're actually really good. Um, they're not even church people. Um, they're just morally good. They're, these are the people that see you mowing and they wave at you and bring you tea. Uh, they're the people that are probably even more generous than you in lots of different ways. Um, and here's what I've found with, with them. And they love their spouse, don't cheat on their taxes. They just do things right. Um, sometimes we're so fixated at trying to find something wrong with them, you're just not honest about your own sin. And my encouragement would be just be honest about your own sin. And stop focusing on them and what you think should be wrong with them and reveal to them why you needed a savior and why you needed a resurrection and why you realized you weren't good and that God was and God could come and God could free you. Uh, the last thing I would say is the best thing in all this. And we're gonna hear this over and over from Peter. We lose confidence in ourselves and gain confidence in him. Um, let me say something really important. And I think the evangelism class I'm, I'm assuming, is, is agreeing with this and emphasizing this. We don't believe that you need to know everything to be able to share your faith. 
Like, guys, we don't think that you have to have every theology solved to be a good missionary, to share a reason for the hope that you have. Um, I don't even think that is reality, to be honest. Because um, maybe some of these things we're walking through in this text, and you're thinking, you're going, Mike, these things terrify me. I don't know where Noah's Ark is. I think Discovery Channel said Iraq or something. I don't know. I'm so afraid they're going to pelt me with questions. I don't know about carbon dating. I don't know about, I don't know. Like, you're just, you're terrified, right? Um, the greatest encouragement is, Paul says to the Corinthians, I didn't come to you in wise and persuasive speech, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It's Jesus who draws men to God. It's the Holy Spirit who works. It might take courage for us to get our mouths there, but I don't think it means pray for four years to get there. I think it means we pray in courage. We trust the Holy Spirit. We're not wise in persuasive words and speech. We trust the Spirit's power. We lose confidence in us and what we can say. And remember, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God can guide this conversation. God can give me words to say things I don't even recall or know. And you know what's a great thing to say when you don't know something? I don't know. Can I please love you so well? So many people, I think, get, get trigger happy and they just say anything, Right? It might not even be true. Like, don't, don't do that. Like, if someone's like, man, I don't know about this. Like, just be like, that's a great question. What'd you do with that? I didn't do anything with that until you asked that. Let me go back. Let me do some research. Let me dig around. Let's come to back with answers. You want to come to church with me on Sunday? Like, just dialogue with them. Don't be afraid to say, I don't really know. Giving a reason for the hope within you, sometimes that's the reason. I know and I don't know. And let's dialogue about that. You know, you will grow intellectually in your faith by sharing your faith. You know, I've grown so much in my faith by talking about my faith, realizing the ways people think, realizing issues out of nowhere issues. And I'm like, man, I gotta go back and search that out. I'm highly intellectual too, so I wanna, I wanna discern all that and figure out what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. But listen, man, I have never won an argument on carbon dating and have the guy go, man, I want Jesus. Never had that. And you're not gonna have that either. You gotta be ready, you gotta have good arguments and good confidence, but we love people and we lose confidence in ourselves and we gain confidence in him. Let me just uh, share a story with you. Um, I want you to always know that you're in really good company with your pastors. Don't think that I don't feel nervous at times or I don't have fear at times when someone engages me and I need to give a reason for the hope that I have. Um, there's a place I love to go for coffee that I, I go to recurringly, and there's a guy there named John, and John's a great man. He's in, um, probably in his late 50s, and, and he learned that I was a pastor. Sometimes I'll go there and write, do different things, and I'm always trying to like kind of, I'm, I'm extroverted. A lot of y'all know that. Some of you guys hate that because I overwhelm you, but I'm just like that. I just got to talk, so I just love to talk to everybody and find out stuff about them, and I learned early on in my conversations with him that he just did not like, for whatever reason, I didn't know the reason, that I was in ministry. So I was like, okay, then I'll be cautious. I'll be respectful. I won't overwhelm you. I'll stop trying to buy you a latte. Like, I'll just, I'll just sit in my little corner. We'll talk. And a couple months ago, I was headed to a meeting. I was in a rush, and he was sitting outside. And he stopped me, and he said, uh, Mike. I'm like, John, right? Like, you just called me out? I'm used to calling you out. He says, uh, Mike, can I ask you a question? Now, I'm headed to a meeting, I, I, right? Anyone who works, like just sometimes you're like, I normally in any other situation would love to stop and pause and have a dialogue, but I'm headed somewhere. So I've got coffee, work, Holy Spirit's just pelting me with conviction and the thorn, I can feel it. And just stop, listen to John. Yes, 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 John. 
right? Internally, you're the hamster wheel. You're like, yes, yes, what is it that you would like to ask me as your left leg's twitching? And, and I, I said, uh, he said, yeah, he goes, you're, you're a pastor, right? Just like that, I go, you remember accurately. Yes, you, you do. And he says, well, he says, my, my, my wife is like really interested now, like in religion. And she's like, you don't want to like check out a lot of different churches and stuff. And where's your church? And I was like, why are you asking Right, like, like, now is this a bait and switch, or are you kind of like, kind of bait and hook? And I said, uh, it's in Paramus. It's a warehouse. Don't get weird, you know. It is just where you gather. Church is the people, not where you gather. CrossFit in the front. Want to play some golf? Hit golf balls before you come in. I'm just, I'm like giving him every reason. He goes, okay, so, so I'm, the reason I'm asking is because, um, he says, I have a question. Um, I'm, I'm going to all these churches, and I'm learning, like, um, hell. I feel like there's, like, differing opinions on hell. And I'm like, that's, that's true. Um, now, mind you, there are a lot of people around, outside. And I'm like, you're going to start talking to me about hell? Couldn't we talk about, like, I don't know, like what kind of songs do we sing or, like, something else? And he, he goes straight for serious, weighty questions. And I said, yeah, well, I think in Protestantism, Protestant church, I said there actually are differing opinions on the eternality of hell. Um, so, and I stopped there. And he says, Which, what do you believe? And I was like, wait, wait, like, what do I believe about what? I try, what do you believe about hell? Do you believe hell's eternal? Do you believe it's real? Now listen, I'm gonna be flat out honest. I thought about saying a lot of different things to escape that conversation. I mean, what's going what's gonna, to what's gonna draw him to Jesus? I mean, if I tell him that hell is real and eternal, it's eternal torment and suffering, like we believe, I mean, isn't he going to run from that or be like, oh, okay, wow, that's crazy. And I mean, or maybe I could say something that would couch it, not make it sound so bad. And uh, I remember just feeling afraid. I remember feeling uneasy. I remember feeling like, man, I'm in public and all these people are now dialing in, listening to what I'm about to say and announce on a corner of a main town about hell. Oh, man. And I just said, John, we believe that hell is real and that it does exist and that it is eternal. And that's why the message of Jesus is so important and so urgent because people are going there and they are dying. And without Christ, yes. And he just looked at me <laughs> and he goes, well, I should probably figure that out then. <laughs> and I go, yes, yes, you should. You should figure that out. He goes, I mean, gosh, if, I mean, if hell is really real and hell really exists, it's really eternal, I mean, I mean, holy cow, I probably need to figure out if that's true or not. I'm like, yes, you should, John. Absolutely. Anyone else want a latte? I mean, I'm not one. Everybody, but, but what was amazing was he was asking for information. Hey, where's the church? Hey, again. And now we're dialoguing every time I go there. He's, he's asking me questions. Here's what I just want to encourage you in, man. Like, like, just know that you're in good company, but just lose confidence in you and gain confidence in him and know that the truth is always the way to life. And even if someone outright rejects it, it might be the very thing that they respect. Like, like, people just want to hear honesty. And the way you say it matters. But no, man, what's amazing is staying on the confidence of what's true, that God will work in the person's heart, that God will draw men and women to Jesus. It's our job just to lovingly, with respect and gentleness, share with them what we actually believe. 
and know that the truth will prevail and know that it's okay to feel uncomfortable and feel like, man, I don't know how to answer this and ask God for wisdom in that. Maybe some of you guys are here and, and you have not trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and I just want you believed he's a good man, not the God man. We want you to know that he did come and he did suffer once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to make a way to God. He can forgive you of sin today. He can reconcile you to the Father, give you everlasting life. You don't have to fear judgment. You don't have to fear wrath. You don't have to fear hell. You don't have to fear death. You can fear him rightly to be saved by him and loved by him tightly. And that's what we want for you this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we hope that some would turn to repentance and faith, not just today, whether it be here, other churches, but all across the world. Uh, We pray that people would know you as good and saving and lovely. We pray you'd help us stand firm in the resurrection hope that would cause us to gladly give an answer and response for the hope within us. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.